Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a very special edition of the Fantasy Injury Team Podcast. My name is Tom Christ, and I will be doing the hosting today. I'm here in sunny San Diego, California, at the annual American Academy of Orthopedic and Manual Physical Therapists Conference with an absolute legend in the physical therapy world. Not only a national legend, but global as well. This guy's been all over the world teaching and having a great time. He's got Lots of stories for us. He's worked with numerous professional football players, and I've personally had the pleasure to learn from him on two separate occasions. And I can honestly say that my practice has improved dramatically because of him. His name is Jack Stagg. Welcome, Jack. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure being here. How are we doing today? You having a good time at the conference? This is my hometown. It's kind of hard to not love it. I mean, sun, surf, Everything you want. Lots of sun, lots of surf. I saw lots of animals today at the zoo. That is a hell of a zoo, by the way. Biggest in the world. It's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a tremendous time. I think we were there three and a half hours and we didn't even see everything. Crazy, crazy. All right. So on today's special edition episode, we are here to talk about a very common, in fact, the most common injury that occurs in fantasy-relevant football players. And, of course, fantasy-relevant in this case means quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, and tight ends. It's the ever-annoying, the constantly lingering hamstring injury. So, Jack, I'm going to first run through some stats on how this injury impacts players from a fantasy football perspective. And then we'll dive into the anatomy of the hamstring, how the injuries occur. And I know you've got a lot of expertise on some of the less commonly considered factors for hamstring injuries. We'll we'll put it that way. So starting out from a fantasy perspective with running backs, we see an average of 2.2 games missed when they have a hamstring injury. Now, interestingly, the running backs fantasy output when they return is not that affected by hamstring injury. They average only a decline of 0.7 0.7 fantasy points when they return from this injury. Wide receivers, on the other hand, they average missing 1.8 games, but they see a decline of 2.8 fantasy points when they return. My uh, my analysis there is that, as we'll get into in a little bit, a hamstring is going to impact an athlete at more at their top end of their sprinting and their speed. And running backs, they typically don't run more than 10 15 yards in a play, so it's hard for them to really get up to their top, top, top speed, whereas receivers on any given route, they may run 40 or 50 yards, so they're more frequently getting to their top end speed. Tight ends average missing 2.1 games, and similar to running backs, not a massive decline in fantasy points with, again, a decline of 0.7 points when they return. So, Jack, let's talk first. Let's get all our listeners kind of up to date on the hamstring, what it is, the anatomy of it, and how these injuries occur. So, we know there's three muscles that make up the hamstring. You've got the biceps femoris, the semitendinosus, and the semimembranosus. And the hamstring is is a two-joint muscle. Can you kind of tell us what that means and how that impacts its, its function? Well, yeah, it's it's actually coming across both the hip. It's coming across that and then going across and down in the back, coming around the corner and attaching, and that then is affecting the knee. And, of course, it's known mainly as a very strong knee flexor. But 
the hip is also involved in all of this. So when you have a joint that is, or a muscle that is required to go over two joints, that means that any motion affecting that joint will affect that muscle as well. Probably setting it up more for injury than some of the other muscles that are single joint. Right. And we see that a lot that some of the two joint muscles can be more prone to injury really throughout the whole body and not just the hamstring. And you mentioned how it functions at both the hip and the knee. It helps extend the hip meaning bringing the hip come backwards behind us and also at the knee helping it bend. With that being said, when the lower body is moving in the opposite direction, meaning the hip is flexing or coming forward and the knee is extending or straightening, that's going to maximally stretch the hamstring muscle. And that's the motion that we see when we're in that swing phase of running or sprinting where the leg is all the way forward and that really correlates with when we see a lot of the injuries, oftentimes in that end swing phase of the limb in, in running. So this type of injury is going to occur from an overload of the muscle, like I was just talking about. And the research shows that the load on the hamstring or the amount of tension on the hamstring and and force on it increases dramatically when an athlete increases their sprint speed from 80 to 100 percent so like i was just talking about before that's kind of why i'm thinking that we see this impact receivers the most because they actually have the ability to get up to 100 percent of their sprint speed more than these other positions um, and, addition, and additionally, a previous hamstring injury is going to increase the risk for another by 2.7 times. That's pretty significant. Um, we commonly hear that what can lead someone prone to a hamstring injury is lack of flexibility or weakness. And sure, that's definitely can be the case. But Jack, your specialty or at least what, you've, what I've experienced you teaching, is something called neurodynamics, nerve tension, and nerve health in general. I don't ever hear anybody talking about this with professional athletes, ever. And we see so many guys who have these recurring hamstring strains. They injure in the preseason, comes back in week two, then again in week five, week eight, and the whole season's lost. I'd love for you to just take this as an open-ended opportunity to talk about how this can this nerve health can factor in to these recurring hamstring injuries. Sure, thanks. And you're right, incidentally, because most everything we hear about is dehydration, muscle imbalance, inflexibility, the deacceleration that's necessary, and maybe they've over, overdone their quads and they, they, they can't agree with one another. One straightens, one's bending at the same time, and the one that's weaker tears. But in in my experience, uh, what did not get looked at, and by many physical therapists as well, this is why I teach this, is if you take a look at our nervous system, our communication system is probably at the hierarchy. It's at the top. Our body listens to it very strongly because without that communication, you don't get blood flow. You don't get immune response. And it is also the telephone cord, which is asking the muscles to do things in sequence. So... If you have, uh, for instance, a sciatic nerve, and it comes out of the pelvis, goes down the back of your leg, goes all the way down, and eventually connects into the foot and all the way to the toes. It's like a very long piece of spaghetti, 
okay? And it has to be able to slide and glide in there. And it has the ability to elongate about 7% more than its end. In other words, it has a little bit, it can be stretched like a rubber band, but that's it. Beyond that, damage occurs. Now, the interesting thing is that damaging a nerve can completely change the ability for that leg to move or to act in any way. If you tear a nerve, you can end up with what's called paresis, which means you can be completely unable to contract a muscle and even have feeling in the leg. We all know the, the numbness and tingling that sometimes people get if they cross their legs too long. Or if you try to stretch at the gym and get, get your leg up there to stretch your, quote, hamstrings, eventually you'll start getting these tinglies and you get out of that normally because that's where the nerve has reached its end. But if that nerve's been damaged, and there's lots of ways. In football, you can see a lot of injuries by direct blow and it goes down through the, the muscle tissue, and there's soft tissues at the buttocks, there's soft tissues uh, under the back of the leg, there's the calf. All of that can be direct blow, and then it bleeds. Okay, When it bleeds, that blood will cause reaction within the nerve. Sometimes it actually sticks the nerves down. Okay? It becomes what we call fibrosed. That means it can't slide and glide anymore. If you come to the end of that range, the muscles are secondary, and your body will sacrifice them to stop that particular limb, whatever leg it is, from going all the way out. Now, this can happen if you do studies on football players. You will find that the majority of them have some low back injuries. Many people will be familiar with discs. Many of the people that are listening right now have been to the doctor for disc problems. And if they leak out, especially in a younger person, they will leak out a fluid that is highly inflammatory. That goes onto the nerve it, right when it's coming out of the spine in your back. If that occurs, it causes an immediate reaction of protection. That nerve will now attempt to stop itself from getting even close to its end. And it does that by contracting the muscles early. If a player, for instance, is driving forward um, and you think of a kicking motion where the leg is going out, that would make that, that sciatic nerve longer, but that is a threat that shouldn't be there, but the inflammation makes it like that. It's almost like if you thought, if you sunburned your skin badly and someone tried to stretch your skin, it, you're gonna react against it, that's what happens. But the way this reacts is it uses the major flexor muscles and extensors of the hip. Well, that's your hamstring. So it contracts extremely strong while your quad, the one on the front, is straightening your knee. And if those two argue, the hamstring can't stop the quad, but it gets torn in its fibers trying to do so. It just, it ends up getting damaged. And in a player like that, these are one, soft tissue heals really easily and very well normally. But these are the players who recurrently keep re-injuring during the season. And the problem is each one of those tears, the fiber densities become thicker, which can also lead to more tears and greater. So it has to be evaluated correctly and ruled out because a nerve injury is a little longer to get ready than the other, but at least they won't continue to tear if you treat it. So, so basically what you're saying, when 
there is an issue in how well the nerve can move in the leg, which oftentimes comes secondary to a previous back injury. Is that correct so far? Can be. Can be. Or a blow to the nerve tunnel itself. Right. right. Then in that case, the body will essentially use the hamstring to prevent more nerve injury. Correct. And it does so by having it contract so hard that it ends up tearing. So with it kind of using its own hamstring to protect itself, that is a little bit different than, you know, a, a hamstring injury when the nerve's not involved. Because that, like you were saying, soft tissue just kind of heals pretty well. It takes a little time and, and rehab, but it heals pretty well. But if the player's training staff and, and the medical professionals around them aren't assessing for issues with the nerve, this is just going to run the risk of recurring over and over again. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and I think most of your listeners are familiar with reflexes. They go to the doctor, they whack on them, and you can see the muscle react. Well, in this case, the reflexes are even heightened as well, which means it'll fire just that much sooner, faster, and way over what is necessary to do the motion. And that's why the tearing occurs. And again, the professionals that look at them can rule this in and rule it out. And they move forward in a different way for rehab if it has the nerve involved. And it involves treating and decreasing the sensitivity of the nerve. Thereby, the hamstring will begin to work again. Again, it is just a slave to the nerve. And once the nerve is happy, the muscle can go back and go back into its normal performance. But unfortunately, if not recognized, it'll be over and over again. And I've seen this in many athletes. And uh, you see it in the lower extremity, you see it in the upper extremity. But the issue is that um, without this, uh, these players will continue to suffer. And now a lot of good players, people will play through things. But the damage can be permanent where it's torn so badly that the substance is, is unable to heal completely. And then they go in surgically to try to repair. In the long run, those aren't good results. Right. And, I mean, every year we've got players who are, this, are having hamstring injuries over and over and over again. It, it makes you wonder if this nerve health and nerve mobility is being screened. Like I, I feel like it should be like a preseason screening for every single player. And when they've had a hamstring injury, it should be top of the list of, of screening again. And maybe that's happening. Maybe it's not. We don't know. We're not in the training rooms with these players. Um, Jack, could you briefly, briefly just describe how we assess the, specifically the sciatic nerve and how well it's moving and its health and things like that? Yeah, it has a very specific track it moves down. And um, a trained therapist can take a look at this. And the great part about it is the nerve has a, a different attachment than the hamstring does. So when we test for a hamstring, we may do a maneuver straightening out the leg, et cetera. But we can bring the nerve into it by side bending the, above where that hamstring is or even tilting the, the head down, 
pulls on what's called the dura. It's the sheath that surrounds your spinal cord. And it's like thinking about pulling up on a carrot that's in the ground. When you lift from one end, it pulls all the way down to the bottom. And that's what we do. And that would only affect the nerve, not the hamstring, because the hamstring doesn't cross all those areas. So it isn't a difficult thing, but I will be honest, in orthopedic manual physical therapy in Europe, when they did these huge studies, 17% of failed treatment was due to this nerve. And yet That's it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't assessed. So um, it's not just in the professions and the athletic trainers and the, the professional trainers that are working and consultants that are working with these teams. It's kind of across medicine right now. We're just beginning to get the word out and people are beginning to accept this. And I think uh, orthopedic surgeons, neurosurgeons, I've had the privilege of teaching physiatrists uh, and family practitioners and some orthopedic surgeons. When the whole medical team recognizes it as a possibility, it is an easy thing to screen. And there are so many screens we already do with, with athletes. But if this is added in, at least we know the rehab is targeted to the right tissue. And when it is, the results are significantly better. Yeah, and I know in my practice, I've seen a number of patients who present with what appears to be a hamstring injury or a calf injury or in the upper extremity, an elbow injury or something. And I utilize the, the tests that you taught me to assess for the nerves. And what do you know? It's that can provoke their symptoms and that ends up being their issue. And I do just kind of work on getting that nerve mobility better. A lot of times that comes from the spine, getting that moving better. And they, they do they do really well. So hopefully, as you mentioned, the, the professional training staffs for these teams if they're not already looking at the nerve health for these players with these recurring hamstring strains, that that starts to become common practice. I think it could really save a lot of careers of some of these really talented players that just have a hard time staying on the field because these, their hamstrings just keep injuring over and over and over again. And like you said, a lot of times it's not the hamstring's fault. It's, it's the nerve and potentially stemming from the low back. So, Jack, that's a lot of really, really valuable information. I think a lot of that is going to be new for our listeners. And this, I, I've been uh, talking about this material on my weekly, weekly blogs and my tweets and stuff like that. And I've noticed that I don't really get a lot of response when I talk about the nerve mobility and the nerve health. And I, and I wonder if that's just because it's not common knowledge. So I'm hoping that with, with your excellent explanation of that, that we can really start to educate football fans and just people um, all throughout the world on the consequences of nerve health and, and nerve mobility and the importance of really assessing it and how that can influence muscle health itself. So Jack, before I let you go, you've been all over the world pretty much, is that right? A lot of it. A lot of it. <laughs> so a couple, couple last questions for you, for our listeners here. Give us two trip recommendations that are outside of America. One, if you're on a bit of a budget, and one, if money's not a problem. Where, where are you recommending to go? I think if you're on a bit of a budget, there's a lot of places in Mexico uh, getting away from some of the tourist traps. Um, that you can get to places that look like they did 200 years ago. 
those, and they're not a lot. I mean, I was born and raised in San Diego, and we used to load up surfboards and head down to Baja and do things. And there's a lot of places you can go down there that are still not discovered. So it's it's I would recommend that. But all the money in the world, hmm, I would have to say that my favorite place so far has been Italy, period. There's just so much history, and there's so much to learn, and there's there's so many founders of science that have their stuff there that you get to see how it all happened. And now you realize we have it easy. We have computers. We have all these things that we could do it with. They did it with just watching, figuring it out on their own with not all these fancy things we have. And that amazes me at their brilliance. So I loved, I love Rome. I love Florence and Cinque Terre, which is the five towns up straight across from Pizza, Pisa up there. They're my favorite. It's just amazing. So Awesome. Fabulous recommendations. I'll have to check them out. I've not made it to Europe yet, but it's definitely on the list. So Jack, once again, thank you so much for coming on the Fantasy Injury Team podcast. And I, I'm sure our listeners are going to really, really enjoy this show. So uh, thanks again and enjoy the rest of your time in San Diego. Thanks for inviting me.